What's up, everybody? I'm Andrea, and this is the inaugural episode of the Decompression Chamber. The whole idea behind the podcast is that I'm a Navy veteran. I want to talk about the military, modern day culture from my perspective, but in subsequent episodes, I'm going to have other military veterans on, maybe people who are not military veterans, but had family members or have a very unique perspective, understanding of current events, history, uh, to give their take on the military and discuss, like I say, discuss different aspects of it. The culture, uh, alcoholism tends to go with a lot of it. Uh, are we a successful military? You know, tons of different things we could be talking about. And I want to start with giving my background so you have some understanding of where I'm coming from and some of the issues that are important to me. And like I say, hopefully have some guests coming on in future episodes who can help us break things down, different aspects, whether, like I say, alcohol, military sexual trauma is a huge, huge one. Uh, Might put that a little further down the to-do list until... Uh, maybe hit my stride a little bit more, uh, but it could be something like a permanent change of duty station where you're having to move overseas, something like that. Uh, all those great things, but I'm going to give a little bit of background on my family, their military experience, uh, what it was like, how I got interested in the military, what my four years of active duty was like, I'm just now wrapping up six years of reserve duty, and usually when you're wrapping up a chapter of your life, you get a little nostalgic. I might be a little bit more on the bitter side. Uh, This is a chapter of my life I cannot wait to close. Should have been closed a long time ago, never to be reopened. Uh, And I feel really sad about where the military is versus when I went in. And I think it's a huge implication For the health of a country, the health of their military. Our military is very, very ill. And it's not entirely the military's fault, I don't think. Um, I think that militaries, even all volunteer militaries like ours, can get young idealistic recruits. But that's hard to do when all you do is fight pointless wars. Sorry. People are not going to sign up to, uh, you know, go fight the Taliban long after bin Laden's dead. I mean, people still do, but hey, that's not going to be the motivation of a lot of them, okay? Uh, Just isn't. I'm sorry. But I'm going to give a little bit of background on me, all that good stuff, a little bit more of where I'm coming from, and different uh, sticking points of maybe what I was going through at the time uh, to give you an idea of some of the issues that are really important to me. Um, And then hopefully in subsequent episodes, we can talk too about, you know, what what kind of people is the military recruiting? Obviously, it's an all-volunteer force. Could be a real problem if we reinstill the draft, although after this whole COVID regime thing, I don't know, maybe we won't be that up in arms about it. Uh, The problem is all the people they draft are going to be overweight or something, so... Oh, wells, but as it stands right now with an all volunteer force, they uh, they turn away seventy percent of the people who walk through a recruiter's doors. You know, 
drug conditions, overweight, whatever it may be. Uh, too many kids, I've heard that one. I don't know how common that is, but you get the idea. So uh, the military really has to take the creme de la creme, like unblemished recruits, uh, and shape them into a fighting force to send overseas for basically no reason. Okay, maybe I'm a little bitter. But I was born in 1985, and I cannot think of a single conflict we have fought that wasn't completely pointless that we couldn't have just sat out. Uh, you know, Cold War, a little bit more nuanced, a little bit different perhaps, but um, so I can see maybe some buildup, but actual bloodshed on the battlefield. Was there any point to it during my lifetime? I, I have a hard time saying that that's the case. But without further ado, I want to get a little bit more into my background, give you an idea of where I'm coming from. So, I was born in the Bay Area of California, and my father was in the Army long before I was born, for about five years total. Four years active duty, one year reserve duty, he was an Army officer. Now, this was during the Vietnam era, uh, 1968, when he joined. One of those deals where if you join, maybe you get a little bit of leeway on what you get to do. If you wait and you get drafted, you're probably going to infantry. So he joined, and my dad's a bright guy. He could type. He was going to go be a clerk. And his drill instructor said, he's a pretty good guy. We recommend him for officer candidate school. This day and age, you go to officer candidate school, you need a four-year degree. My dad had no such thing, so, but they sent him anyway. And so he commissioned as a second lieutenant at the tender age of 19. Uh, he served over in Camp Humphreys, North, North Korea, South Korea, <laughs> but uh, at the very northern part of it, uh, from what I understand. Also, he served in California, mainly babysitting Nike missiles. Now, uh, as an ordnance officer. Now, my maternal grandfather served in the Army, enlisted. Uh, he got out shortly before World War II really popped off, as I understand it. My paternal grandfather served in the Navy shortly after World War II, up in the Aleutian Islands. Uh, he was a CB, drove bulldozers, equipment, equipment operator. And I also had a great uncle who was in the Navy shortly after World War II, uh, mainly in the engineering spaces. And I had another great uncle who was in the Marine Corps during the Vietnam era. So a lot of men in my family served. Can't think of any women who served uh, right off the top of my head. Uh, probably starting to get relatively distant family at that point. Well, my cousin Christine, of course. Um, but she, she served after me. She did serve a deployment to Iraq. Um, God bless her. Uh, but then I'm in high school, sophomore year, 9-11 happens. And I'm kind of thinking, well, like what everyone else was thinking. We were attacked. We need to retaliate. And this stemmed from ignorance of not knowing that we were fucking with these countries relentlessly for years. And, you know, that's, that's why they were attacking us. So... You know, they weren't too great with current events uh, leading up to my sophomore year. I'll put it that way. Uh, nor global politics. Go figure. But in any event, it didn't really occur to me to join at that point because, hey, I'm a sophomore. I still got the rest of sophomore year, junior, senior year to go. 
But by my senior year, I was talking to the Marine Corps recruiters. And it wasn't really clicking with me. I, I really felt no sense of duty. I was hating school. Why would I want to go sign up for the Marine Corps? Didn't make a whole lot of sense. I got done with school and eventually moved up to Lake Tahoe, Donner Summit area, did ski patrol for a couple years, had a great time. During that time, my parents retired from California, moved to Idaho, and uh, they're up there. Um, another thing about uh, this podcast briefing, I have uh, access to two podcast studios I could feasibly record there. I choose to record from the comfort of my own home, so that's why you get to hear things like my cat Elsie bapping around a giant piece of kibble, so a little extra for you folks at home. Anyway, so my parents had retired to Idaho. I decided I was going to move in with them, go to school, become a nurse. One little problem, I'm certainly not academically disciplined by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, if it doesn't come to me easily, it ain't getting done. And needless to say, I wasn't doing too great in my studies. I went to community college for about a year. Not my thing. I decided, uh, you know what? I see all these other people going to the military. I still need to join the military. I'm going to join the military. I was about 22 at this time. I'm, I'm looking around at the different branches. Really, really looked at the Army. Didn't really like what they had to say. I, I wanted to be a medic. Having been in ski patrol, I thought it'd be a nice, easy transition for me. Didn't really like what they had to say. I went to the Navy, and they were straight up with me. As far as recruiters go, these dudes were Boy Scouts. And they said, look, Corman's probably close to women. Pick something else. You know, we'll figure it out. And I said, you know what? Uh, I really want to do explosive ordnance disposal. I want to blow stuff up. And they said, okay. We, we can do that, but here's how it works. You go to the military entrance processing station, you pick a job, and then you work out with these guys once a month, and then you're working out on your own all the time to get up to standards. As soon as you can pass their, their test, while you're still in the delayed entry program, they'll reclassify you to EOD, you'll get a new leave date. There you go. Okay. So I uh, delayed entry programmed or depped in as a gunner's mate. Wasn't supposed to leave for seven months. During that time, I, I worked my butt off, working out all the time. Um, but I was still was probably not that dedicated to my training. Didn't really know what the fuck I was doing. Um, in general, they discouraged weight training. And for good reason. I mean, if you put on a lot of muscle, you're going to slow down. And that's the crazy thing about special operations, which EOD is considered, as far as the Navy's concerned, you, you have to be a lean, mean fighting machine. You need brute strength, but you need speed, endurance. You need everything. You have to be the whole package. Here's the thing. As a female who's not on exogenous hormones, I don't need to worry about bulking up. It just is not a thing. Uh, it would have done me a lot of good to, to really lift some weights. Um, a lot more so than I did, probably. There's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking with that. But in any event, I did pass. I did get reclassified to EOD, left for boot camp uh, in July of 2009 at 20, the tender age of 23, and uh, went to boot camp for about eight weeks. Uh, I got horrifically out of shape there. I, I lost a lot of weight, not really from diet or exercise, but mainly from disease. <laughs> 
Uh, I didn't really get any faster. I didn't really add any push-ups. I was so weak by the end of it. Uh, by the time I got to the other base at Great Lakes to start EOD training, I, I could barely do one pull-up, and that was being generous. I was horrifically out of shape. Now, there's different things I could have done in boot camp, um, you know, finding, uh, taking my towel into the head and, you know, doing pull-ups. ton of things I could have done. Like, look, it's all on me at the end of the day why I, there is no way I was going to make it through that EOD training pipeline. All on me. I'm the only one to blame. And at the end of the day, I dropped on request. I DOR'd. So, next step. They reclassify you. What are you going to be? I had a choice of undesignated, which means you chip paint off of a ship and put new paint on for two years. That's an undesignated or a striker. I was not going to do that. They had machinist mate, return a wrench. Wasn't too jazzed about that. Or you could be a master at arms and, hey, maybe you can dole out some wood shampoos. Wouldn't that be nice? So I chose master at arms. And they shipped me down to Texas in December of 2009. So if you're playing at home... I'm now 24 years old and went through that and uh, I, I had a great time in Master at Arms A school. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, you got pepper sprayed, but eh, it's a one-time deal and you're done with that. I uh, got through that. They told us, hey, if you're getting good test scores, you can get first dibs on where to go. Now, obviously, if they only have so many places you can go to, maybe you don't have much of a choice, but... You, you will have a choice among those choices. I worked my ass off. I got hundreds on the first three exams. No one else did. And they had, f I think, 14 billets to go to Bangor, Washington. So I didn't really need to work that hard. But I wanted to go to Bangor, Washington. The other choices were uh, uh, Kings Bay, and that was pretty much it. Our class, they were pretty much for uh, the personal reliability program prp and that's where you babysit nukes that's about all i can say but of those bases uh it's banger washington kings bay georgia uh, someplace in nebraska and i want to say travis air force base in california i don't know if there's any nukes there but i know that's a prp command that's that's it so i end up in banger washington and i drove boats for two years and that's about all i can tell you about that uh, it was, I drank like a monster all the time. That's pretty much like was a hobby in and of itself in my downtime. Not good. I probably had more than a couple people tell me, Hey, this is a really terrible idea. And I just didn't give a shit. Uh, because I probably had some voice deep down inside of me going, Andrea, this is wrong. You're not doing something that makes you happy. And you got a lot of time left to go doing shit that ain't going to make you happy and by no means is serving your country. We know that, you know, I know that's what you want to deep down, but how is what you're doing day in, day out, helping your mom or helping your dad or anyone else you care about? Really isn't. And I think there is that very quiet, unarticulated question that made me miserable, and I definitely tried to drown that out. So... I got done with my two years there, and I got orders to Bahrain in April of 2012. So I would have been, uh, let's see, 26 at the time, right? 25. 26, 25, whatever, 26, yeah. 
I'm bad at math. Anyway, so 26, I head out to Bahrain for a year. I uh, drove boats there. I could talk a little bit more about what I did. I escorted ships in and out of port. That was really fun because I got, even though I didn't really love small boat operations, I applied myself. I was good at it. I had fun with it and got to do some really cool stuff while I was out there. I I worked days the whole time I was out there. I don't think I worked one night, which is good. They need more people on days, and I volunteered. I want to stay on days. They're happy to have me. I had a great time. Again, not a whole lot to do out there. A lot of people threw themselves into the gym. Not me. Uh, I would do that when the PRT was nearly upon me, and I had to make weight. That was about it. Other than that, I, I was drinking all the time. You know, maybe sometimes I'd drink with friends, but for the most part, I was pretty much an unmitigated disaster waiting to happen. Um, the one saving grace is I'd usually drink so much I'd just kind of pass out early and not cause problem. Yay. What a great, great memory of serving overseas. Anyway, I knew by the end of all that I didn't want to stay in the Navy. I wanted to get out, use my GI Bill, go to school. And so I applied to the University of Utah, got accepted. While I was stationed over overseas, I took a month of leave, came home, took a tour of the campus, all that great stuff. So I uh, got out of there, got out of active duty. I was transitioning out in Virginia. And at that point, I decided, ah, maybe I should do the reserves while I'm in school. That'd be a really good idea. That fell through probably for the best. Let's be honest. Uh, so I was out. I was in the individual ready reserve for three years, which basically just meant my name's on a list somewhere. That's it. So did that for three years. And right about the time I'm going to graduate, right about the time I'm going to line up my first job, right about the time I'm going to buy that first car, the prior service recruiter calls me and says, hey, do you want to be in the uh, selected reserve? Cell res? I said, yeah. Actually, how did you know? And so st had to start the process over again because I was technically out. I had to go back to the military entrance processing station, MEPS. Uh, it was also coming off of uh, Lent, where I'd given up drinking. And wouldn't you know it, I lost like 20 pounds. Weird. Gotten into some decent shape. So, you know, had to go back to MEPS. Now, for those of you who don't know MEPS, Complete disaster. Total nightmare place. Staff by DOD employees and military members trying to terrorize teenagers looking to join. Uh, I was a little salty. I knew what to expect. And uh, if you're a first-time recruit, MEPS sucks. If you were a 30-year-old me going back, it was fun as hell. I laughed my ass off. Fantastic. Can't say enough good things about it. 10 out of 10 would recommend. So... I uh, I get to get to maps and um, what they do because you have to get there so early. They want to make sure that you're going to be there on time. They put you up in a hotel. You always get a roommate. My roommate was joining the Navy and she was leaving for boot camp the next day. And I said, "Oh, fantastic! What's your rate?" And she said, "Well, I wasn't sure what rate to pick, so they're going to let me try them all out and then I'll pick one." And I went, "Oh, sweetheart." That's not how that works. That's one of those strikers. Chip paint, put new paint on, do that for two years, and then maybe they'll send you to an A school. 
So, and then, you know, I'm full of, you know, the day is full of civilians and military alike trying to get me to hop to and whatever else. I was having none of it. I was having fun. And for some reason, I think I spoke with a Boston accent. Maybe I just watched The Departed. I forget. Anyway, had a great time and started drilling at Salt Lake City Reserve Center. I enjoyed it. Had a good time. You know, I, my work, school, home, church, reserve center is all in like a half mile radius. It's crazy. But had a good time there. Now, just because you have, you know, your reserve center is close by and that's the best one for you to go to and the Navy lets you go there doesn't mean that's where you're needed. So you have to pick like a command to belong to. And mine was going to be the Southern Command. And so, in theory, once a quarter, I would fly down to Florida and qualify in weapons. I did that maybe once or twice a year. Whatever. Still an astronomical amount of times for me to go to a couple time zones away for the Navy. I'm serving my country. No. The one annual training that I did, the two weeks that you owe the reserves per year, they sent me to El Salvador. It's like Hawaii, but with like a lot more murder and poverty. But the one cool thing about that is there were a ton of guys down there that I knew from active duty, which is nuts. So, you know, I was well taken care of partying. So basically I'd pass out at seven. They'd keep partying, you know, the typical, the standard. So did my two weeks down there. And then about a year later, I decided, you know what? I am done with Salt Lake City. I want to move to New York, so I guess I'm going to drill out of the Bronx. But my chain of command in Utah was very smart. They said, absolutely not. The Bronx is the Death Star. Go to Long Island. They gave me a couple numbers of some guys out there. They said, yep, you want to come out here? Our unit's awesome. I said, cool. And so I put in for, don't ask me what this stands for, a trick change for Long Island. And I got it. And come to find out, there was a guy in my unit I had known since A school. Known the guy a decade. Awesome. Now we just happen to be drilling reservists together. Woohoo! So I'm there for uh, about, whatever it was, yeah, a little over a year. Uh, great group of guys. You know, uh, had fun ATs. Everyone worked hard, played hard, everything else. But after about a year there, I finally quit drinking. I was going to be going to Hawaii with my siblings, decided I should dry out so I could go experience that with clear mind, remember it, enjoy everything had to offer. As it turns out, Hawaii is not really my cup of tea. Who knew? Sorry, Tyne and Brendan. But I did manage to quit drinking, and while I was there, I picked up a book, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, if anyone's interested. Changed my life. Two-thirds of the way through the book, I realized I'm never going to have another drink as long as I live. That incredible. That life-changing. So, the whole drinking thing, though, it's a little bit more than never picking up a drink again. There's a whole lot of stuff you have to get to the bottom of. Why? What motivated you to drink in the first place? You know, therapy stuff. So, after I quit, then it was a lot more self-respect. Reflection, introspection, blah, 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 blah. And I realized I don't believe in the military anymore. I don't believe our mission has meaning or value. 
to to anyone that I care about, certainly. So I thought, wow, that's that makes me kind of bitter. But I said, you know what? I signed up for six years, even if the Navy, by no discernible metric, practices honor, courage, and commitment, I'm going to. I signed up for six years. They'll get six years out of me. Besides, I'm with a great group of people. I'm going to just skate this time out. It's going to be fine. Until December 2019, I got dropped from my unit. Long billet story. They They were trying to do something that made sense at the time, but before anyone could react, the Bronx picked me up. The Death Star. And I got sent to a logistics unit. Keep in mind, my background is security, and not like just any security, like checking IDs and law enforcement. I drove security boats. I had no idea what I was doing in a logistics unit. It was completely stupid to put me there. But the Navy did it anyway, because you know, needs of the Navy. They always preach about how much training money they put into training you, but then they invariably want to use you for shit they've never trained you for. That's how stupid the military is. Anyway, so I get there. My first drill weekend is in February of 2020. My second is in March. And then COVID hit. And then we went remote. And here we are two years on. We had yet another remote drill weekend. Our stupid military is still afraid of the coronavirus. Granted, this is probably going to be our last remote weekend because uh, they've relaxed masks at the reserve center. So there's something to be said for that, I suppose. But every, every six months, every branch is supposed to run their physical fitness test. I ran my first one in two years because of COVID just this last fall. Now, I have a gym membership. I lift a ton of weights. I run. I do everything I'm supposed to do. And by no means am I like a physical specimen. Okay, I'm a girl who can do pull-ups, not to brag. But I'm not exactly like in beach body shape because I like to eat candy and pizza. Sorry. So you have to pass a weigh-in. Your weight is based on your height. I came under, but it was admittedly a little closer than it should have been. Fine. A ton of people failed. Because, you know, active duty, you kind of have some daily pressure to, like, stay in standards. Reserves, they only see you once a month. And if you're remote, they ain't seeing you except from here up, if at all. So there's no pressure. You're not, you you know, you have to be self-disciplined to work out. Very few people are. And, uh, yeah. So I went to do my PRT. Uh, As a 35-year-old female, I knew what my numbers were. And I decided for my last PRT, I'm going to max this bitch out. I hit my 43 push-ups. I did my whatever it was, 3 minutes and 20-second planks. That's that's the other thing. We replaced curl-ups, crunches, with planks. The hardest thing about planks is to make sure you do not die of boredom. What a Whoever suggested this, let alone approved it, should be summarily executed. It's such a dumb exercise. It's not core strength. It's, it's stupid. Anyway, 
maxed out on that. And then for my run, I had to run a mile and a half in 10 minutes and 51 seconds. And I came in under that. Yay me. But a ton of people failed. Because we're not a real fighting force. We really aren't. We've watered down standards over the years, even with the weight standards, right? When I first came in, it was, you had to pass weight. If you didn't pass weight, they would tape you to kind of ballpark your body fat percentage. I could never pass tape because I don't have a thick enough neck, which is ridiculous. Like I've got like a 14 and a half inch neck. Looks a little weird, almost, but I can't pass tape because my neck isn't big enough. Figure that one out. Anyway, so I always had to come in underweight, whatever else, and I, they've since relaxed that. By the time I got back in the reserves, it was very easy to get taped and be completely fine. I think that's a little ridiculous. I, I think as long as you can pass the physical standards and you're somewhere in the ballpark with weight standards, probably fine. But like I say, they're watering down standards almost imperceptibly, just like they do anything until by the time you wake up and smell the coffee, it's it's way out of control. So, yeah, here I am with two months left. Can't wait to get out. Hate the military. Uh, I was born in 1985, and I struggle to think of a conflict that our military has fought that's been justified. I can't, I can't think of one. And... It's really terrible to think of guys that I knew in their 20s who, who were killed or maimed or, or scarred in any way, just, just traumatized. For what? I mean, if you, you know, 9-11, okay, we went into Afghanistan to go after bin Laden. Only we found him 10 years later in Pakistan, and then we didn't leave Afghanistan. Now, look, I, great people join the military. I, I think some really good, kind-hearted people really want to do some good with their lives, really do some good for the world, join the military. I really believe that. I think 22-year-old me certainly had that in the back of her mind. But you get into it and you realize this is, you know, the propaganda of serving your country is just, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Or they'll tell you, yeah, by the time you get out of A school, you'll have almost an associate's degree. Motherfucker, I know guys who were nuclear engineers on submarines who got four elective credits for college. They didn't get a degree out of it. Are you kidding me? And those guys studied their asses off for two years, not two months like I did. So it's just... It's stupid the, the bill lies that you're sold. Then, okay, I got a GI bill. That's great. That's, that's good stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's basically like an education voucher to a leftist indoctrination center. All right. I'm getting a little conspiracy theory there. Education's a good thing, and it will pay for it. Just don't do something stupid like going through the College of Humanities for anything. Do anything else with your time. Uh... You know, I get free health care for the rest of my life through the VA. Now, as far as socialized medicine goes, they are fantastic with acute care. I have broken both my ankles, luckily at different times. Uh, they've done a bang-up job with the surgeries, uh, follow-ups, all that stuff. I, I mean, I'm out there running all the time, faster than I ever have my whole life. They did a great job. 
Now, longer term, more chronic care, something goes wrong. Oh boy. Well, I guess that remains to be seen, but hopefully they'll do a good job for me. Um, as far as anything else goes, I'll make sure that I uh, got everything that I needed. I think, uh, I think I covered everything that I want to. Um, and like I say, I will hopefully be bringing on uh, guests in the future uh, to the Decompression Chamber podcast and get their perspective. Uh, of course, like I say, men, women, enlisted, officers, branches, eras, you name it. There's going to be a different perspective on all of that. Um, I... It'd be interesting to, you know, get my dad on the podcast, have him Skype in or something and and get his take, get it from the horse's mouth, what his time in the army was like and, and what he sees the, the failings of the military of today are like. Or are there some things that the military is doing well? Could be. Uh, and other people with different perspectives, hopefully get them on to get their take as well. Uh, pretty much as it's almost an open door policy with my podcast in terms of guests, you don't have to be a veteran, just be interesting. Uh, I'm also willing to be a guest on other people's podcasts. Keep that in mind, folks. But thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of the Decompression Chamber podcast. Uh, please tweet me. I am Andrea from SLC on Twitter. I am Patroli on Instagram. And please don't look up my LinkedIn or Facebook. You can also find uh, links to all of my socials at comicscard.com slash Andrea-Bryant. And please, uh, you can also look at my calendar there. Any dates coming up that I'm performing as a comedian. I swear to God, I'm funny too. Not just, uh, you know, introspective or bitter. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. Uh, please, you know, like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review and all that, all that crap. Stay tuned for the next episode. I'll see you soon.